Welcome, this is Lisa, where we go inside addiction to raise your level of consciousness. Today we have winged victory on the podcast and we're going to talk about the simplicity of how this mother finally stopped drinking, some of the fatal flaws common to those who don't make it or get caught in the relapse cycle. We're also going to talk about booze musings and the boom rethink the drink community and lots lots more. Now before we get into the show I want to thank our audience for listening and I want to let you know that you can take the next step on your journey by downloading my free ebook and you'll learn the seven practical tools to build a solid mental foundation and get your drink and drug use under control and you can download that by going to insideaddiction.co.uk forward slash foundation. Now on to the show. Welcome Winged Victory, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, it's great to be here. Awesome. So to kick us off, I just wondered what advice you would give to the version of yourself that's still in the madness, drinking, and where you were at the time and what was going on for you? Oh boy, that's a fantastic question. I really I really like the way that you, that you put that. Um, the advice that I would give myself when I was caught in the madness... Well, I just, I just published a post that was um, a post that I edited from 10 posts by a member of my community. And she was talking about the, the practical things, like you're saying, the seven practical things um, in your book. The practical things that she had done in the first 10 days of her sobriety. And, and I, I came up with the title, and the title is um, Demystifying Sobriety. Because I think that, to me, when I was caught in the cycle, when I was desperate to stop drinking for years and feeling ashamed and guilty and out of control and, and like I just could not stop drinking, um, I, I thought that there was this impossibility to it. You know, it was, it was like a mystical, magical impossibility. And I was afraid that I might need to go to rehab, um, which I couldn't afford. And I was, you know, I was terrified of, of that prospect. Um, and ultimately, I found that it was quite simply for me about acknowledging what was going on, honestly and openly, um, which I did on a website called Hello Sunday Morning. Um, as a, as a mother, I, I was not comfortable with the idea of going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Um, I didn't feel like I had the time to go to meetings because I was taking care of my family. Um, and I was able to find this online community, Hello Sunday Morning, um, on the internet. And I was able to, in essence, go to meetings on the computer in my kitchen. And so the first step for me was acknowledging publicly, in, in essence, with my first post on the Hello Sunday Morning uh, website, exactly what I was doing, honestly, you know, what I was doing. And, and then people immediately reached out to me in that, in that community and said, you know, you're just like me, you're going to be okay. And, and it demystified the whole thing, you know, the, the impossibility of stopping. Um, the community on Hello Sunday Morning demystified it. And um, so I would, I would tell her 
six years before she stopped because it took six years from the time I read Alan Carr's The Easy Way to Stop Drinking. Um, it took six years for me to finally stop. I would tell her, it's simple, but it's not easy. Um, it's simple in that you accept that you can no longer drink. And you focus on the positive results of not drinking as opposed to focusing on the fear of changing your life because it's, it's terrifying. I think for most people, um, especially with alcohol, I think that alcohol is so innocuous to, to many, many people in society. We just think of it as part of living life fully. We drink. Um, and if you find that you have a problem with drinking, it's humiliating and it's, it makes you the other, you know, you, you don't fit, you become, you become the square peg in the round hole. And, um, I would, I would tell her it's going to be okay. You can, you can break the status quo. You have broken the status quo in everything in your life. You've always been an out-of-the-box kind of person. And this is the next step to out-of-the-box. Just admit to the problem and um, and find help, which I did in this online community, which was also a very out-of-the-box kind of thing because that was five years ago. Um, Hello Sunday Morning was one of the first um, online communities where people were supporting each other in a non-AA kind of way. Yeah. And it's really so that's a long lively answer. <laughs> No, that's an amazing answer. It's interesting to get that perspective that isn't based on, like you say, the 12 steps, AA rehab, that's based on an unconventional, in a sense, approach, although it's very, very popular nowadays, is that kind of idea of the community and taking accountability and vulnerability and sharing your story. And I just wondered, you know, that woman six years ago, um, or that waited six years from when she first read the first Alan Carr book, what limiting beliefs did she hold on to that was holding her back from living sober and happy? Limited beliefs. Let's see. Um, well, I, I'm five and a half years sober now. So I, when I read Alan Carr, that was almost 12 years ago. And I was desperate to stop drinking um, at the time. What kept me from stopping? I read the book. It was very effective. I actually didn't drink for 24 hours. <laughs> and that 24 hours was, um, was Thanksgiving. And my Thanksgiving celebration for the last 20 years, because I live in Portugal, I'm American, but I live in Portugal, has been um, a, a friend's Thanksgiving. So we, there are 20 of us, us and our children. We get together and we have this wonderful May kind of um, gourmet, great wines and everything sort of thing. And um, it was Thanksgiving Day after I read Alan Carr, and I, I went to Thanksgiving dinner, and it was like, you know, I saw the light. I didn't need to drink. You know, I was happy. I was content to not drink. There's, a, there's almost a brainwashing effect to Alan Carr's book, which is the intention of it. And I had, I had seen the light, and, you know, my brain had changed and everything. Um, but then within 24 hours, I was drinking again, and it lasted for six years, and it was painful. There was a lot of painful stuff that happened in those six years. Um, what is it that held on to me? Um, 
Gosh, that's a difficult question. I have talked about this so much over the last five and a half years. Um, I felt like I had to drink. I felt like one of the premises in Alan Carr's book is that there is no such thing as an alcoholic. And, and it's a good premise in I don't use the word alcoholic to describe myself because I don't, I don't like the stigma that goes with the word. To me, sobriety is empowerment. It's not about, it's not about thinking about what I was as a drinker, but what I've become and I'm becoming sober. It's, it's just, you know, a fireworks show of empowerment for me. So the, the word alcoholic doesn't work for me. The word addict doesn't work for me because they hold me back. But Alan Carr's premise is that everyone who drinks is in the process of becoming addicted because alcohol is addictive. It's an addictive substance, and it is, it's, problem drinking has nothing to do with alcoholism. Problem drinking is drinking. You know, drinking is problem drinking. And it's a really, really good premise. But I was able to talk myself out of it within 24 hours because... Actually, my friends who are all drinkers, they all celebrate the grape, you know. Um, I was the only one who drank like me. And I won't call that alcoholism, but I, it is different. There is a difference in the way that I drink. Um, and I had to acknowledge that to stop because otherwise I was able to keep justifying, okay, well, they're drinking and they're okay and they're drinking and they're okay and they're drinking and they're okay. I, you know, I was high functioning. I was a good parent. I was a cookie mom. I was a um, professional in a, in a high pressure you know, situation. I was a performer and, um, and I handled all of that stuff. So it was very easy to justify continuing the behavior, even though it was hurting me because I, I just, there was this constant, struggle in my mind of I am normal I should be able to control it you know it's it's such a complicated issue you know they say you're ready when you're ready and it took me becoming my behavior becoming truly dangerous for me to be ready and and that's what finally did it for me was when things got really dangerous yeah and what did that danger look like in your life when you say things got very dangerous? Paint the picture for us. Um, okay. Uh, well, I was 48, 49. Um, and I had been finding more and more that I was um, drinking to blackout. I didn't really understand, understand what that meant. It was just that, you know, I would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I wouldn't remember what I had talked about the night before. I wouldn't remember converse, the conversations with my children and my husband. I would just wake up with a dry mouth thinking, oh, you know, I did it again. Bottle and a half, two bottles of wine. Um, and I, I found more and more that that was happening. And I decided that I absolutely had to stop, and I started reading. I read some wonderful books. I read uh, Lucy Roca's book, and I started reading um, some blogs, started thinking about drinking, and um, sober at 60, and I kept trying to stop. 
but I kept getting the five or six days, and then I would decide for one reason or another it was okay for me to have a drink, and then I would have a couple of bottles, and then it would start all over. That that went on for a few months. Um, and finally, um, I fell down the stairs, and my it was probably 7.30 in the evening, and I had had a little surgery to remove something from the corner of my eye. And I had decided, you know, just one last glass, I would have one glass of wine before the surgery to relax. And then I talked to the surgeon and I said, you know, I had a glass of wine. And she said, oh, that's fine. That's okay. I said, is it okay if I have another when I get home? And she said, yeah, it's fine. It's no more than one more, you know, because um, it'll thin your blood and then you'll, you'll bleed a lot. And, but then by 7.30, I had had um, a bottle and a half on an empty stomach, you know, with whatever kind of chemicals were going through me from the surgery. And I went upstairs to go to bed and I just, you know, basically fell down the stairs and I was on the floor and I couldn't get up. And, um, and my son was in the kitchen right around the corner from me. He was 11 years old. Luckily, my husband heard me and he tucked me into bed and my son didn't see anything and he didn't hear anything. But I woke up the next morning with that feeling of what happened, not remembering anything. And I had a vague memory of being on the floor and kind of weakly calling for help. And I remembered um, hitting my tailbone and hitting my ribs on the stairs. And there was blood all over the pillow because my eye, my blood had thinned from drinking a bottle and a half of wine instead of a glass. Um, and I, just, I went downstairs to my, my husband and I, I said, did this happen last night? Um, did I fall? And I said, did, did our son see me? And um, he, said, he said, yes, he fell. And no, he didn't see you. It's okay. You know, I got you into bed. And I said, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. You know, I was like, it's not okay. This has to stop. And, and I, th- I, you know, in the last five and a half years, that was, that was my last. The last, the second to last time I drank. I drank one more bottle of wine the following night <laughs> when I was starting my blog, and that was it. You know, I had to have my, I had to have my friendly goodbye after the ugly goodbye. So that was five and a half years ago. Um, but I've, I've talked to so many people in the last five and a half years who are professionals, they're responsible people, um, loving parents, really, you know, fitness. People, you know, they, they get up and they work out and they, they drink green tea all day and they eat, you know, gluten-free diets and, and stuff like that. And they're drinking like that, you know. And now now that we're doing Zoom meetings, uh, we see each other, you know. And I see these beautiful people who are drinking like that. And um, it's such, it's there's such normalcy, normalcy surrounding it. In our culture, there's, there's so much normality surrounding drinking dangerously, and it's just okay. Everybody does it now and then, get it under control, it'll be okay. But it's not okay. It's not okay. wasn't for me. So it took that. It took that to um, snap me out of any sort of confusion that I might have that I really cannot drink. If we rewind a bit on your story... I just wondered if you could tell us a bit about your childhood growing up, what life was like leading up to the point when, you know, like you say, you had your son and you fell down the stairs. What was life like before that? Well, um, 
Uh, I grew up in a very loving family. Um, there was always talk of the possibility of hereditary alcoholism, alcoholism in my family. It was part of our dialogue when I was growing up. Um, my brother had serious mental health issues and he had um, issues with drugs. Um, my parents divorced when I was when I was very young and I was raised by my mom. My, my father was out of the picture. Um, my brother died when I was 17. He died of what we thought was a suicide, but I learned a few years ago was drug related. Um, he he was addicted to um, inhalants, which in the 1980s was very common addiction because you could get, you know, a can of underarm deodorant cheap, the cheap high, um, and and it was very deadly, very addictive. I actually learned about it from people in the, the HSM community. They explained it to me, and um, now that I understand addiction. I understand everything leading up to his death and, and what happened. So there was there was that trauma which was um, considerable. And um, but I'm a musician. My my career was um, performing with us in the orchestra, which I I retired from in December at 55 with um, full pension. I'm very blessed. Um, it was an amazing, amazing career. I loved it. Um, I think that. Uh, you know, many, many people talk about having had very dangerous drinking patterns from the time they were young. Um, I didn't do a lot of really dangerous drinking. I did enough, you know, routinely. Nothing epic. I was working too hard. I was too busy, you know, getting ready for my career, which was, which was pretty intense. Um, the thing that happened with me, I think, is a combination of hereditary and culture, because I was raised in, you know, Christy, Christy Coulter wrote an amazing blog post a few years ago called Anjali that went viral and was translated into German and was, I think it was run in Time Magazine or something, you know, it was really a big um, thing. And she was talking about our culture. Uh, Christy Coulter is also, I believe, 55. Um, she's the author of, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the book right now. Shoot. Nothing big can come of this. Yeah. She's my favorite blogger because she makes me laugh. I absolutely love her stuff. But she wrote, um, she wrote this article called Anjali that went viral. It just went viral. And it was something that, um, Anne Delsett Johnson had also spoken about in her book, Drink. And, um... Gosh, it's another book called Her Best Kept Secret. I can't remember the name of the author either, but she also speaks about this. Our generation was raised with this Anjali perfume um, advertisement ideal. Um, you're so young, I'm sure you've never seen it, but it's it's 1970s, you know, and it's a sexy woman in a slinky dress, and she's got her hair all done, and she's got her makeup on and everything. And... Um, and she comes in singing, I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never, never, never let you forget you're a man. And she's like, you know, flipping around the frying pan, and, you know. And our generation grew up with that ideal, that empowerment for us 
meant that we could do everything. We could be everything. We could be sexy. We could be professional. We could be the best mom on the block. And then with all the pressure to be everything and do everything, oh, we could be astronauts, we could be president, you know, and it was the first generation that, that was fed that. Um, when, the, when they were feeding us, you can do and be everything. They then inserted wine as our rocket, rocket fuel, you know. Um, and I bought that hook, line, and sinker, as did most of my friends and most of the women that I talked to who are my generation in, in the boom community now. Um, and that had a huge influence on me even though I have spent the last 25 years in a country where that ideal doesn't exist. In Portugal, we don't, wine is not sold that the way that it is in the United States or in the UK. Wine is wine. You know, they haven't gotten into the image marketing of it. But I grew up with that ideal, and I got just enough of the mommy's wine time push from the United States culture. Um, and I ate it hook, line, and sinker, you know. That really, it was my, my right. It was my, my privilege, my right, my me time, my self-care. Yeah. And you got to the point when, like you say, things were damaging your life. And I just wondered if there were any tools or tips or anything that sort of comes to your mind that you used to help you sort of overcome if that's the right word or learn to get your drink drinking under control well the first thing was alan carr's book the very first thing that i read and and it's wonderful um annie grace's book this naked mind is very similar so and it's more contemporary um and her her take on science and and advertising is also more contemporary and contemporary and really fantastic um so for me, the first thing with a book like that, the kind of book that gets you looking at alcohol differently and looking at our culture differently, you know, how are we sold this? Why do we think we have to have this? Um, but it didn't completely work for me because of that idea that, you know, there is no such thing as an alcoholic because I was different. I really was different. So I needed a different message. And I got that from a combination of books um, and, and Dossett Johnson's drink um her best kept secret i can't remember the name of the author right now um but that was wonderful um read on just cultural basis of all of this um lucy roca's how to live um a happier healthier alcohol-free life she really focused on okay you're a mother you love your children you're a good mother you're drinking yourself down the toilet i was too we can stop now, you know, and it was really, it was really, really enlightening to me to read that book, and she said, you know, she talks about the wine witch in that book, and wine club, and that kind of brought it to my attention that there were a lot of other people who had this time of day, you know, where this sort of beast took over, and, you know, this witch, or, um, then I, then I read, um, Belle's blog, Tired of Thinking About Drinking, and, um, her, her personification of that beast is Wolfie and the Cherokee Wolf legend. There's a good wolf and a bad wolf. You know, which one is going to win the one you feed? Um, so stop feeding the bad wolf and the good wolf gets stronger. That was really a powerful, powerful tool for me. Um, I think, I think Bell's, Bell's law, I'm tired of thinking about drinking, 
once I had read the other things, that became the thing that got me through the first three weeks with Bell's blog and a blog called Sober at 60. And then occasional things, I read a couple of posts by uh, Laura McCohen, who at that point was just a couple of years sober, and Holly from Hip Sobriety, I read a couple of her posts that were also really powerful to me. Um, but the biggest tool for me when I first stopped drinking was I joined this community online, Hello Sunday Morning, and what we did there, in essence, was blog. But it was thousands of people blogging together and you you know we were all talking about the same thing and um the things that i read in that community that were just written by people like me they were written by bloggers or internet influencers or authors or journalists they were just written by people teachers nurses mothers uh, military men fathers doctors lawyers just people you know and and the the honesty and the passion and the understanding and the commonality in that community, that was my tool, ultimately. That was it. And then the writing, because I'm not a writer, I'm a horn player. Um, but I started writing because I wanted, I found reading their writing to be so healing. And so I began to try to write as well. And, um, and that healed me and continues to heal me to this day. Yeah, and you are the author and founder and moderator of Booze Musings, the blog, and as a mentor to thousands, I just wonder if you saw any commonalities to those who stay sober, or any fatal flaws or common that are common to those who don't make it or get caught in the relapse cycle. Yeah, that is such a good question, and people ask that all the time. Um... In the first place, I don't consider myself to be a mentor. Um, what we do in the Broom community is modeled on, it's a little different, but it's modeled on what we did in Hello Sunday Morning. What we did in Hello Sunday Morning is that, that Chris Rain was the founder. And when I, was, when I first joined, he would write a post once a week, like a regular blog post. And you could read it or not as you wish. You could comment or not as you wish. But he was basically a member of the community. He was the founder but he was a member of the community. He didn't necessarily have better ideas than anybody else. He just presented his ideas once a week. Um, so what I learned in that community was that somebody who, if I was on day 15, I had something to offer to somebody on day 12, you know, because I knew what day 14 it felt like for me. And um, there, was, there wasn't a mentor. There weren't like, it wasn't like the more, the people with more experience were more mentors. And, you know, we were just a community, really a community. It was amazing. And that made it be about each of us taking responsibility for our own behavior and for helping the people coming up behind us. So we took responsibility for ourselves and we took responsibility for each other. So it's not, it's not so much mentoring, even though I started the Booth Music blog and I started the Booth Music the Drink community, even though I probably post more often than anyone else, um, it's not in, with the intention of being a mentor. It's with the intention of keeping the conversation going. Because that it's a conversation in which we figure out how to take responsibility for ourselves. Um, the other question about what types of characteristics you see in people who slip, 
That is almost an impossible question to answer. I have seen people say that they recognize when somebody is about to flip. And sometimes it's very recognizable. There's, you know, sort of a denial that starts to build up, um, a flirtation with, well, maybe I'll just drink at this party or maybe I'll just drink at that event. Or this really is impossible. You know, when, when that kind of stuff starts to be articulated, you know that the person is struggling and you know that, you know, they really need to talk it through. Um, but I have seen people flip. At six months, that seems to be a particularly treacherous time. Um, that I had no warning at all, <laughs> and and I I really I would like to say that um, that I know you know um, that I can that I can foresee it. That would be wonderful. I but I can't say that. I I can say that the people who to it are the ones who are really they really understand that they have to make it their top priority that it's worth making it their top priority that um and they they do that day after day i remember i got to day 18 or something when i first saw drinking I, re I remember feeling like maybe it was five weeks i think it was five weeks i remember feeling like i've got this you know I don't need to check in on Sunday morning anymore. I'm good. I got this. I don't need to listen anymore to stupid podcasts. I don't have to read any more of those blogs. I'm done with the books. I'm cool. I got this. And I thought, you know, maybe you don't. Maybe you should, like, step back a little bit and just keep your feet in it. And I'm five and a half years sober, so that's good, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And like you say, it's good to kind of keep your finger on the pulse and to, yeah, just pay attention to what's going on and how you're feeling. But I just wondered what advice you would give to someone who was struggling to get or maintain their sobriety. To maintain their sobriety? Yeah. Um, to maintain it. Um, well, gosh, we were talking about that yesterday. Um, I, I think, you know, the thing that's, one of the things that scared me about going sober was I identified going sober with, okay, you have to go to AA meetings forever for the rest of your life. You know, and, and the idea of even going to one AA meeting to me was quite disturbing. I, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. I thought, okay, you got to go to AA meetings, you got to work the steps, you got to do the easy does it thing, and you got to, you know, you got to be like really calm. <laughs> and, um, and, and actually, I found for me and for many people, what maintaining sobriety seems to be about whether you go to AA meetings, or whether you get really involved in a community like our community, where we take the drink, or Sobarishish, or one of the other communities um, on the internet, and you stay involved, and you talk about life. You don't have to, you don't have to keep reiterating the last time I drank. You know, you talk about the amazing things that are evolving in your life and 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 how you see the world. And sometimes I just share. Um, an image of the flowers from my garden that I arranged in a vase that I am getting so much pleasure out of. And when I share that picture, that's my going to an AA meeting today um, in my internet community. Because I, I share the picture and it gives people pleasure, so it's, it's generous in that way. But every time I look at that picture, I remember how the garden makes me feel. 
you know, and that, and that I have this, this peace and tranquility that I didn't used to have and this, this positive energy. So I, I feel like the, the sober momentum is about kind of continuing to look in and share out and reach back. Yeah. Actively. And why do you feel that boom works and why is it so important that it remains ad and sponsor free? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, well, I'm, like I said, I'm retired. I retired in December and I'm only 55 and I have lots of energy and I have a full pension. So what I've been able to do for the last four years, I've put a tremendous amount of work into this. I've been able to do it without making it um, a money-making thing because I don't, I don't need to make money. I'm okay. So it's a passion that um, that I'm doing for me. I thought about adding Amazon links and accepting um, promotional blog posts that you know would make it easier to to get um, action on the blog. But I realized that you know, and I and I used to I used to sponsor posts on Facebook as advertising. Because that was how people found us. You know, I would I would write a post or I'd, I'd put a post on a Facebook page, and then you you pay Facebook like the presidential campaigns. You pay Facebook to promote it, and then people read it, and that's how advertising is often done on the internet. I stopped doing that because um, I don't like what Facebook is doing with the world, and um, I don't want to pay Facebook money. Um, and 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 I didn't. I'm glad I didn't put Amazon links on because I also feel like you know Amazon has become a monopoly, and I I even though I might have made a little bit of money from the Amazon links, um, having not put the Amazon links on, I don't have that connection to something that I'm not happy with now. Um, advertisements, I I just I feel like. Um, the internet has become a marketplace. You know, it's all about making money. The internet, um, and it's very hard to trust. You know, what your, where you are on the internet. You know, am I being? Are, are my are my analytics being studied for commercial reasons? Um, you know, are they are they trying to get inside my head and sell me things? And so I just I want to keep all commercial activity off. Boom. And I want to keep all commercial activity off booth meetings because it needs to be a place of absolute authenticity and it needs to be a place where we are able to completely trust one another without question. I don't ever want someone to wonder if the motivation behind my talking to them or somebody else talking to them is that we're going to make a buck off of it. So even, you know, we've, we've become a nonprofit association in the last month. We just became um, established as a nonprofit month ago um, and over the next year we'll evolve what that really means um, for us and, and how we're going to use that status to, to raise money and what we're going to do with that um, but it will always be the activity in the community and the posts that are published on Bruce Meetings will always be of the community by the community about the community and there will never that will never be a profession it will always just be community and generosity of spirit. I think it's, I'm in a, just an absolutely unique position to be able to do that. And I, I'm thrilled that I can, you know, so all the work that's gone into it has already gone into it. And I did it because I wanted to, you know, and there it is. And now we can keep it commercial free. 
That's amazing. And like you say, it's good to be able to have the flexibility to be able to decide on things yourself in the direction and not be beholden and to just have that authenticity, which is amazing. And I just wondered what else sets Boom apart from many other alternatives for sober support out there? Well, um, you know, I actually, from the time that they told us that they were going to shut down um, the legacy um, website for Hello Sunday Morning, which was where we were, that was 2017. From that day when I started setting up Boom, um, I haven't looked at other sites because I want, it's taken a tremendous amount of energy to get us where we are. Um, it's been pretty much seven days a week for four years. Um, and I, I have just felt all along the way that if I'm, if I'm looking at what they're doing there or what they're doing there or what they're doing there, then I'm not focused on focusing on what we're doing. And, and so I really can't tell you how it's different from other sites. I can tell you that our members who are on other sites, um, because you know, people do many different things and, and we encourage each other to do everything it takes. You know, go to AA if that works for you. If you if you want to do the hundred day challenge with Bell and tired of thinking of drinking, do it. If you want to do hip sobriety school, do it. You know, if you want to go to Laura McCohen's um, daily Zoom meetings, do it. You know, do every single thing that you need to do to get your your feet on the ground and keep your feet on the ground. So, uh, people who are doing all those other things, tell me we're really special, but I can't tell you why. You would have to ask them. Yeah, but I really love that kind of approach of. You know, whatever you need, and it's the same approach I take as well, but that approach of whatever you need, go and get it. If you need this course, this program, this free support thing, if you want to go to AA, if you want to go to rehab, whatever works for you, just, you know, get sober, I guess. Um, you can do yeah. it and believe in yourself, and that's quite kind of the message. And, and for most people, it takes more than one thing. You know, it didn't take one book from me. It took ten. You know, it took ten books to help me find HSM. And then when I found HSM, there were a thousand people I followed, you know, and I read their stories every day. Um, and one of the wonderful things about HSM was that because it, it wasn't, at the time that I was on it, there wasn't a guru, there wasn't, you know, we, I talked about Bell, people talked about Alcoholics Anonymous and what they learned in, in AA, um, people talked about Ellen Carr, people talked about Annie Grace, Annie Grace was on the site, and, you know, when she published her book and we read it in, in beta, um, and Lee, Lee Davy was there from, um, from the alcohol experiment. There were, you know, lots of people with different ideas and we all shared the ideas and, and, and that allows you to take responsibility for yourself, you know, because you're not, you're not saying, oh, great guru, make me sober, you know? <laughs> No, exactly. And that responsibility is uh, really important to kind of take into sort of, like you say, take it on uh, for us. I guess I'll be from the eye for me to take it on my own shoulders, to choose my own direction and getting sober, my own path, my own action. Like you say, reading the book. We can't read books for anyone else. Only they can read the book themselves. Um, and taking that action is really important. And... Yeah, I just wondered how you feel that peer support model works on so many levels and why does it work and what you find so valuable about it and what the community finds so valuable about it. It works because when you have a large group of people 
who are all um, having the courage to make themselves vulnerable, which I think anonymity is really important for that purpose. So we do really encourage people to be anonymous. I don't want to know who you are, and I don't want you to be afraid if you're my neighbor that I figured out who you are. You know, I want you to be able to talk about the deepest, darkest things that you need to talk about. So I, you know, be John Doe with a Mickey Mouse face or whatever. Um, and with, within that anonymity, people are able to have the courage to make themselves vulnerable in a way that they wouldn't have outside of a therapist's office, really. Um, and then you have this group where whenever people share something, no matter how dark they may feel it is, somebody else has experienced it. And then, you know, there's a commonality and they, they can start talking about it. You know, how did you heal from this? And, um, and I find there's so many things that I don't have the answers to. And there's so many experiences that I haven't had. Um, but the larger the group becomes, as long as it's very carefully monitored and we make sure that there, you know, that people feel safe and, and are respected, um, people can talk about whatever they need to talk about and, um, and find others who share that experience and, and begin to heal. I think it works for that reason. Um, and I really think if, if you're dealing with peers, for all peers, it encourages self-respect and it encourages mutual respect and 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 authenticity. And and to me, my drinking problems destroyed my self-respect and they made me inauthentic. And the empowerment that I have in sobriety is that authenticity, authenticity and self-respect. Yeah. And this is a question from your audience, but um, they said. Booze Musings and the Boom community have made your sobriety journey into a job of sorts. What are the pros and cons of this, and how has this affected your family dynamic? Oh, that's a good <laughs> um, Well, the pros and cons are kind of all mixed up together. Um, I, my biggest fear when I stopped drinking was that I would lose my superpowers because I bought the wine is my rocket fuel thing, hook, line, and sinker, swallowed it down. And I had been the woman who could do everything and did do everything and always had everything under control. So when I stopped drinking, I thought, I'm, I'm just going to be nothing now. I'm going to be this kind of easy does it sort of um, milk toast one. And I thought, well, I have no choice. You know, I have to, I have to do it. And it, it took me a whole year, actually. I started booze musings when I was 11 months sober because I had gotten something published in Huffington Post, and I thought, okay, this is that. It was called Redefining Me Time and Coming Out Sober. Those were the first two things I got in Huffington Post. And I thought, okay, let's do this thing. You know, I knew nothing about the Internet. I didn't know what a URL was. You know, I went to Weeks build your own website with the drag and drop stuff, you know, websites for old ladies. <laughs> and I got to work and it was so stressful. I was still working at the time. I had like, my job was very special. I got a lot of time off in my job, so I might have a month off or a week off or a four day week or something like that. And so it gave me a lot of time 
to work on this. But I started working 60-hour weeks, you know, really intense, intense stress. Um, that was a con, but it was also a pro because it gave me such – I learned so much, and I'm still learning, learning and learning and learning. You know, and now I'm going to learn – how to organize a nonprofit association, which I'm not very excited about actually, but it has to be done. Um, but I have just, it's like, I, Mark Lewis, Biology of Desire is my favorite book on addiction um, because what I really like to think about now is not so much what was my addiction. I think there's a, there's a little video called um, Gold Nugget and Kiwi. Have you seen that? No, a little Kiwi bird and, oh, it's wonderful. A little tiny video, a little Kiwi bird and a gold nugget. Um, it is the perfect description of what addiction is, you know, and I, I, that's what addiction is. To me, recovery is the rainbow of, you know, infinity, infinite possibilities. And, um, and I think that, that Mark Lewis, Mark Lewis's book, Biology of Desire, um, what he talks about in that book is what this project has done in my brain. You know, it, it took the mess that was created by being addicted to alcohol and cigarettes, which I've also stopped using now. Um, and rerouted it into this um, wonderful network of creativity and intellectual energy and, and just, you know, personal growth. And, and the project from the beginning, it has been such a huge challenge and it's been challenge after challenge after challenge, intellectual challenges, creative challenges, emotional challenges um and most of it to me is about the archiving of the posts there are 600 on those meetings now the archiving of the posts presentation of the posts and community growing the community stimulating the community keeping the community evolving from what we were when um hsm closed down and it is just so rewarding you know it's exhausting but it's so rewarding and it's um I'm not sitting around wondering what I'm going to do with my retirement. You know, I'm, I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and let go, you know, and, and it's exciting. It, it fulfills me. As far as my family is concerned, um, my husband is now um, helping me and has been since the beginning. Um, when I needed a better computer, he gave me his, you know, and um it's it's something that that he has gotten involved with, and that's that's good for us in our relationship. Um, and I think it's good for my kids also. And yeah. I wondered if you've provided loads of value in the interview already, but I wonder if there was any other resources or any direction you wanted to send people in. How can they find out more about you? Where do you want to send them? Well, I think that if you search booze musings on the internet, it's just that easy. B o o z e M-U-S-I-N-G-S, Booze Musings, that'll bring a whole bunch of stuff up. And it will take you to the blog, which is our public blog. It might take you to our new website for the nonprofit organization, um, which will also take you to the blog and take you to Boom. Um, our community is Boom Rethink the Drink. And um, it is open to all who follow our regulations. Um, and... Those are my resources that I created. Um, I think that the internet is absolutely chock full 
of resources now. And the thing that's wonderful is that there's something for everyone. Um, I never actually did the 100-day challenge on Tired of Thinking About Drinking. I was on the waiting list for it when I found um, Hello Sunday Morning. Um, but that's a wonderful program. And so is um, Hip Sobriety School. Um, you know, there, there's a certain style to Bell. Tired of Thinking About Drinking. There's another style to... Um, hip sobriety, and there are lots of you know Facebook groups. There's um, the Booth Street Brigade, which is really really active on Facebook. Um, the Share Recovery Network is terrific. He does a wonderful job. You know, just lots and lots of stuff out there. Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Awesome. And thanks to our audience for listening and please subscribe on iTunes. We have new episodes every Friday. Also leave a a rating so we can get ranked better and help more people like you find us on iTunes. And also if you love the episode, which I'm sure you did, please share the podcast on Facebook and all the social media platforms you feel comfortable doing. And thanks again. And as always, I wish you well on your journey in recovery.